We'll start our reading tonight in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 4, so we know what verse 5 is about. It says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Who are these peoples, nations, and languages? It's everybody in the known world, right? They're all in captivity to Babylon. So this is everybody. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. What do you call that when you fall down in front of a pagan idol? Idol worship. <laughs> idol worship, idolatry. What did Exodus chapter 20 say about idol worship? Don't, Don't do it. It's a no-no. Is it a minor thing to the Lord? No, it's an abomination to the Lord. Any sin that God calls an abomination is one we want to stay as far away from as possible. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think, last week, but we're going to look at it again to make sure, because not everybody was with us last week, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, whenever it was, when we did this last 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. I have heard many times over the years that the Apostle Paul says idolatry is okay. Because we know the pagan idols aren't really anything, so little idolatry won't hurt anybody. What does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14? Therefore, my beloved, comma, flee from idolatry. Does the word flee mean slowly saunter by? Oh, it means to genuflect when you come <laughs> It means to run from idolatry. Because if you want to see God's nostrils flare, idolatry will do it. Then we looked at Galatians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul talks to another church that comes out of the Gentile world. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Verses 19 to 21. For those of you who haven't changed the first word, I'll read it as it's written in the Bible. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Are works of the flesh good things or bad things? Will God reward us for them or will he judge us for them? They're bad, he'll judge us for them. So when it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, it means intuitively obvious to the most casual observer. Ever hear that phrase? It means everybody knows this. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and what? And the like. Meaning, is this an exhaustive list? No, it's just some examples. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
How many of you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Amen. Then don't do these things. Is idolatry on the list? Yep. Idolatry is on the list. <clears throat> but what does it say in Colossians, Wayne? Well, let's go look. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul talking to another group of believers that have come out of the Gentile world. Say, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. That doesn't mean start killing people in congregation. It means stop doing these things. Fornication. Uncleanness. Look how close uncleanness comes to the start of each of these lists. Passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them what does Paul mean by once walked but you continue to or but you stopped that you repented of that you turned away from it you don't do that anymore Put away fornication, that's sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness, that includes the piggies. Passions, which is sexual desire. Evil desire, raunchiness. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Don't do them anymore. Well, if that's all the Bible has to say. No, it's not. How about Acts chapter 15? People say Acts chapter 15 says we can do these things. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But we're going to look only at verse 20 if I can restrain myself. But then we write to them. Them who? The Gentiles who are turning to God. They're in the process of coming to God and learning what God has commanded but first, before they can even come into the synagogue and study, they must do these things. They must abstain from things polluted by idols. Does Paul say you can participate in pagan idolatry and worship the true and living God together? No. No. What do we call that? Syncretism. Syncretism. Lukewarmness. How does God feel about lukewarmness? In uh, Revelation 3, makes, you don't want to know. Makes him sick. It makes him sick. From things polluted... Yes, ma'am. I heard a question. Online. Online, okay. Uh, the reason why... Uh, one thing I want to ask about the polluted with idols, would that be with... Um, also with tattoos? That They cut the tattoos into their skin to be polluted by the idols? Would that be included in that? It could be included in that if, there's, if that's their purpose in doing the tattoos. But all tattoos are forbidden for whatever reason. But they started with pagan idolatry. So yes, they would be polluted by idols. Food sacrificed to idols. Idol worship themselves. The gold or silver that make up the idol. Can you just take the idol and melt it down and put the gold in your pocket? God says, no. It's been polluted by idols. From sexual immorality. 
That includes adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, all those kind of things that the world is trying to make legal today. From things strangled. When it says from things strangled, it means an animal that was killed in a non-proper manner. According to the Bible, the animal's blood must be drained from the body. When an animal is strangled, the blood remains in the body. The blood vessels break and the blood spreads into the meat. How many times did God tell us not to drink the blood with the meat? Over and over. And lastly, and from blood. So even if it's outside of the animal, can you drain it from the animal like your first deer kill and drink it? No, but they do that in this country, don't they? And they're going to hear from God about it one of these days. And the next word is for, because. I have a question. What's your question? <laughs> Sorry. Well, the whole idea the, the, about being, uh, things strangled. whole idea about things being strangled, animals strangled. Okay, go with me here. Yeah. Now, in the old days, you know, we, you know, a neck could be. Bring a chicken's neck. Bring a chicken's neck. No, yeah. don't do that. And I'm thinking, well, nowadays they use the electric probes and they go up into the mouth, up into the throat, <clears throat> and burn it and, you know, kills them. And I well, wish I didn't know that, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> because okay. I, I just thought of it because I've known that for years. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, that's why even if I buy um, organic chicken, I still find all these little like you were just describing the little red you know blood muscles and all these kind of things of course i always try and pull all that stuff out but i'm thinking is that something that we should not do then i didn't even know that was a thing so i haven't ever had a chance to think about it but Look, the blood must be drained from the animal i think matthew's going to tell me more about it they hang them upside down and drain the blood the chickens okay but also for I got a good close look at them. <laughs> for meat that you're not sure about, use kosher salt on it and let it sit for about 20 or 30 minutes. And draw the blood out. That draws the blood out. So uh, that's oh, something really? if you don't know it's kosher, you can always kosher it. Okay. For Moses, the word for is so often overlooked. These four things are not all. I've heard it taught many times. This is all Gentiles need to do. Does this mean Gentiles can steal and it's okay with God? They can murder? They can blaspheme? No. These four things are called what's required for table fellowship, to be able to sit down with the Jewish community in the synagogue and learn. That's what verse 21 is. If you will do, avoid those four things that characterize pagan worship, you can come into the synagogue. For Moses has said throughout many generations, those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So verses 19 to 21 simply come down to this. A Gentile who's turning to God has never been taught the commandment, statutes, and judgments of God. So how do they learn? This says avoid these four things that characterize pagan idolatry. Come into the synagogue where the Torah scrolls are read and learn what God requires. It doesn't mean this is an exhaustive list. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10.
1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read verse 14 already, but let's go to verse 28. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not what? Do not eat it. Is that clear enough? To me it is. And those who say, oh, oh, Paul said we can eat food sacrificed to idols, it's okay. Just come back and look again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says to the church at Corinth, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. What's the key word there? Were. Were. What happens to a Gentile when they get saved? They become seed of Abraham. They become the seed of Abraham. They're no longer Gentile. Gentile means pagan. We've given up pagan idolatry. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I can't tell you how many pastors have said, Wayne, it doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that we can't eat unclean things. To which I say, have you read 2 Corinthians 6? And they go, why? Well, let's go look. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. We'll start in 14. I just love starting in 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with whom? Unbelievers. With unbelievers. So who is Paul talking to? Believers. If he was talking to unbelievers, they can't be unequally yoked with themselves, right? So this is to believers. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? So what relationship does righteousness have to lawlessness? Are they the same thing? No, they're opposites, right? So every time you read in the scripture about righteousness, just think that means not lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness? Who used light and darkness throughout his writings to talk about righteousness versus lawlessness? John did. He uses that all the time. And what accord has Messiah with Belial? What's a Belial? Untruth. That's a Satan. So, can you take a little Messiah, a little Satan, mix them all together and come out with something good? No. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. People use this verse to say, see, there's never going to be another temple mount. Temple. In Jerusalem. That's not what this means. What is the temple? Temple is a place where God resides. And the Holy Spirit resides in you. That makes you the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a clean vessel. If you are a clean vessel. We're going to get to that. Would you, during the days of the temple, when Messiah was here, have taken a pig up and sacrificed it on God's altar in his temple? No, not more than once. That's right. That would be a bad thing. So when you put unclean things into your body, is that any difference? Any different from taking the piggy to the temple? It's not. 
For you are the temple of living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God did not say that to the Gentiles. He said that to Israel. So what is Paul saying? Now that you've been saved, this applies to you as much as it does to me, Paul would say. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Where are those words written? Where are they written? What's that? Reference C, but I can't find it. <laughs> Leviticus 26.12, Jeremiah 32.38, Ezekiel 37.27. In other words, lots of places. Why would God say something more than once? It's really important. It emphasizes it, right? So verse 17 begins with what word? Therefore. Therefore, does this mean we started a new topic? No. That we're just, just throwing out, discarding what we said before. No, we're applying it. Therefore, come out from among them. Who's the them all the way through this? The unbelievers. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. Do not touch what? What is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. Says the Lord Almighty. Therefore. Another therefore. Having these promises. That if you come out from amongst the unbelievers. Separate yourselves from the uncleanness. That God will receive you. And be a father to you. Therefore having these promises beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Where in the scripture do you first read, Therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus chapter 11, where they give the food and what's clean and unclean. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, to show that God never changed his mind. Sure. It just dawned on me that this exhortation he's making isn't necessary because the Jews are promoting uncleanness. That's right. It's the Gentiles who are maybe family members or extended family or people outside seeing these Gentiles come to Messiah and they're saying, there's nothing wrong with eating this food off of God. There's nothing wrong with pigs. There's nothing wrong with them or you don't mean to tell me that today our friends and family try and get us to violate God's commandments. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You, did you call that Nicolaitanism the other day? Nicolaitanism is antinomianism. That when Messiah died, the commandments were done away with. Okay. I mean, they were getting a full dose of it. Yes, and, they were. They, I read today about Ignatius, Ignatius, whatever his name was, a bishop of Antioch yep. following John. Yep. And that by the time he had died, which was in A.D. 140, he had already come out with several very anti-Semitic statements about, hey, we're not going to do what my teacher taught me. We're not going to observe the Sabbath. We are not going to do this. We're not because the Jews do that. 
right? So it's the same thing that's going on right here already. If, if you go back to the anti-Nicene fathers and to the councils in the fourth century of the Catholic Church, all these, we're not going to keep the commandments. It's all because the Jews do that and we hate the Jews. It's anti-Semitism. And it was going on when John died. When John died. What did Messiah tell us? That you will be known by your love for one another. That is the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Right. How long did it take for the Gentile believers to start looking down at the Jewish believers and saying you're not as good as they us? Actually separated from them. Actually separated from them. But I digress. I never do that. Yeah. So let us continue verse 5. Because this was a very important verse to me. With 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I was just listening to a preacher this afternoon say that all preachers should preach about is the blood of Messiah. We should never preach about anything else. And I'm thinking, doesn't that leave people a little short on knowledge? I think so. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians was the first epistle Paul ever wrote. And what's he first command the believers in Thessalonica for? You turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Not that you tried to do both. You tried to mix them together. Let's have a little of each. No. Oops, looks like I have some notes out there. Let's see. <laughs> okay, good. Do I have a camera on? I have a camera on. Oops, somebody may not be getting it. Somebody may not be getting it. Okay. Let's carry on with 1 John chapter 5. Wayne, it sounds like you're going to hit every book in the New Testament. Well, I might. Because the theme is consistent. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. John calls us little children. He calls us little children, not because of our ages, but because when we first come to Messiah, we don't know very much. We have to learn. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Why would John finish his letter that way? Why did he fear the people continuing to participate in idolatry? What was the draw of idolatry? Sexual immorality. The pagan temples were characterized by prostitutes. And John's saying, you got to stay away from such places. Speaking of Revelation, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. John writes Revelation about the year 95 Common Era or 95 AD, pick which dating system you like. Just keep the 95. And already, 
two of the churches are specifically named as having adopted the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or at least been exposed to it. Is there somebody out there in Go to Meeting Land with a comment? Apparently not. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. We're still looking specifically at idolatry. And is eating food sacrificed to idols acceptable or not? What color are your words in Revelation 2.14 if you have a multicolor Bible? They are red. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So why in the church of Pergamos were people being told it's okay to eat things sacrificed to idols? It's okay to commit sexual immorality because they were teaching that the commandments have been abolished. And what is the Lord telling them? Verse 16, repent or what? Or else. What else does the Lord need to say other than repent or else to make me realize these are not good things to do? These are serious. Revelation 2.20 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed with those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your ways. Back in the book of Daniel in chapter 3, all the people had to do to not find themselves out of favor with the king was simply to bow down and participate in the pagan idolatry. And pretend to worship. And pretend to worship. Is this okay with God? No. Let's keep reading if you think it is. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Does that send a chill up your spine? Do you want to do any of those things? Not me. How about chapter 22, verse 15? We'll start in verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments. That. What does the that mean? Here's the reason they're blessed. 
that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. My Baptist commentary throws up all over that verse and says, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. The commentary's wrong. Why do we keep the commandments of God? It's because of our faith and love. Verse 15, but outside, that's outside of the new Jerusalem, outside of the kingdom of God, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. What did chapter 21 verse 8 tell us was the fate of these? The lake of fire. Hmm. Now let's go back to Daniel. So if you were in the Babylonian captivity... And you've just heard this declaration, and the music starts. What do you do? Let's and keep where in Daniel are we? Daniel chapter 3. We just finished verse 5. Thank you. Yep. Verse 6 now. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. You would want to be close to Daniel when whatever happened. <laughs> yeah. But look at your choices. You've only got two. Do I bow down to the idol or do I get thrown into the midst of the burning fiery furnace? Fiery furnace versus a fire lake of fire. Yeah, a fiery death in this world versus an eternal lake of fire. Yeah. Verse 7. So at that time... When all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Is that 100%? No, we're about to find out it's not. But, go back to verse 7. So at that time. What does that phrase, at that time, usually connote? The tribulation period. In the tribulation period, is there going to be an idol set up in the temple of God? And if you will not worship it, what is the judgment? Death. So you will have to decide, should you still be here during the tribulation period, the very same choice that they had here in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Will I fall down and worship and participate in idolatry? Or will I put my life on the line? What's the only right answer? They did not love their lives to the death. And and you know, Wayne, that's a decision that takes a lot of thought Uh and prayer. Mm -hmm. And we, each one of us, need to know that we know that we know where we stand on those issues so we don't get swept away into that deception or go along with it because of fear instead of having that peace that passes all understanding that we know that even if our lives are taken that we will not have betrayed God because we don't want to be at that point. Right. Right. But what they had to do back there make that, that decision folks in the tribulation period will have to make. Yes, sir. What does the New Testament tell us? That the Old Testament is there for us to learn from. Yeah. 
So verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Ah, looks like the Jews did not en masse fall down before that statue, does it? They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Yeah, they're just flattering him. No king's going to live forever but one, and that's our Messiah Yeshua. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. First thing I want to ask is, where's Daniel? Where's Daniel? Was Daniel out there falling down before the idol? No, I assure you he was not. But how was he ranked in the kingdom? First. He well, was, he's behind the king. He was, he he was, was right there at the top underneath Nebuchadnezzar, though. Yeah, he's not the one you want to bring the allegations against, right? But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't quite as high up in the pecking order. So they're the ones they go after. I assure you there were lots of other Jewish people who did not fall down. But these men that are accusing these three Jewish men are doing it out of what? Spite. Jealousy and spite. Jealousy and spite. They don't think that the children of Israel should have any of these exalted positions. So they go after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not because Daniel is bowing down. Now let me ask. So Daniel wasn't out of town. <laughs> Daniel was not out of town, I'm sure, no. I'm sure he's up in his room praying toward Jerusalem three times a day. But does not God tell us that we should observe the law of the land? Yes. Yes, but it's to a point. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. When the leadership says, Did we not tell you not to teach in this name? Verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So this is the same position as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do we listen to Nebuchadnezzar or do we listen to God? Or in today's world you might say, do we listen to the Pope or do we listen to God? What does Romans 6.16 tell us about the one we obey? That's the one we serve. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. Why is he enraged and in fury? Ego. Ego. They refused to follow my command. Gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? This is how much faith he has in his other officers. 
Is it true, or are they lying, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Notice the I problem. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. Meaning what? It's okay with me. I won't believe the allegations. I'll assume they were just, oh, mistaken. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Uh-oh. We call that what? What's that word? Blasphemy. That's blasphemy. And you know what? God has a way of answering challenges like this. See, I have a comment out here. Let's see what it is. <coughs> we are in Daniel chapter 3, about to read verse 16. Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Is that the way you talk to a king? Not if you want to live very long. So what are they saying? They're not responsible to you. They're saying, just watch. When the music sounds, we're not going to do it. So we don't need to plead. We don't need to give excuses that we didn't hear the music or something. We don't need to answer to you. Who do we answer to? To God. If that is the case, that is, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Notice they just answered the question that was asked in verse 15. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? They say, the God we serve will deliver us from your hand. Did it take faith to say that? It sure did. But look at the faith in the next verse. But if not, that is, even if God does not deliver us from your hand, he can, he has the power, but if he chooses not to, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Know when we worship the gold image which you have set up. They say even if it costs us our very lives, go to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul giving his own defense. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. What did those men and women that he had put to death need to do if they wanted to live? Just renounce Messiah. Just renounce Messiah, saying, enough with him. It was a mistake. 
It was a mistake. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to go back to the synagogue and earn our salvation like, like you want us to. Were they willing to do that? No. They were willing to give up their very lives rather than renounce their testimony. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, which takes place at the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, right smack in the middle. We'll start in verse 9 for context. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Messiah have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives, what? To the death. So if you're not saved when the rapture and resurrection takes place in chapter 4 of Revelation, false Messiah is going to do everything he can do to behead you. If you get caught, you have two choices. Renounce Messiah or die. Only one is a good choice. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was happy, right? Oh, no, no, no. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How was he toward them before? Very favorable, right? They were with Daniel when Daniel prayed and told him his dream and the interpretation of his dream. And he had set them up in high places in his kingdom. And now they've told him to his face, we will not do as you commanded. And we don't care what you think about it. So verse 19 says, And Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Do you think the amount that it was normally heated would be sufficient to kill a person? Sure. So why stoke it seven times hotter? Because he's mad. He's throwing a tantrum. And it's an expression they really can't get it seven times hotter. It won't go that high. <laughs> All I know is he commanded it. <laughs> they tried. I'm sure they're doing everything they can do. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Notice they wear turbans. They have hats on their heads. Does that offend God? No. 
Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So those mighty men of valor that threw them into the fire didn't go into the fire. The fire was so hot they died at the mouth, at the entrance. I guess to tell us that the fire is really hot inside. Huh. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Why were they bound in their clothes? Because the clothes would burn. It would help the bodies burn. Kind of like wicks. Did they burn? No. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Yeah, we got to figure that out, huh? First thing you got to notice is they are no longer bound, which means the ropes were consumed off, but their clothes didn't burn. Their hair doesn't burn. Their skin doesn't burn. They're probably wearing sunglasses and asking for a lemonade. lemonade. <laughs> but you can understand Nebuchadnezzar's astonishment. He knows the fire is really hot because it killed all his men. And now he throws in three and there's four and one looks like the son of God. We have to track that down. Let's go first to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 3. Now when the tempter came, that's Satan himself, came to him, that's our Messiah Yeshua, and said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Satan says, if you're whom? The Son of God. And in verse 6, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, again, if you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. Does Satan know that Yeshua is the son of God? Of course he does. So why the if? Because if Messiah obeys Satan, what does Romans 6.16 say? The one we obey is the one we serve. Matthew 8.29 And suddenly they cried out saying, who cried out saying? Demons. The demons. What have we to do with you, Yeshua, you son of God? 
Notice they didn't say, if you're the son of God, they know very well he is the son of God. Satan knows it. The demons know it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14. Verse 33. The disciples took the easy route. They're riding a boat across the Sea of Galilee. Messiah took the harder route. He's walking across the water. And there's this big storm. Disciples see Messiah walking on water and they're afraid. And he says, What? Be a good cheer. It's I. Don't be afraid. And what does Peter say, Lord? If it's you, command me to come to you in the water. Messiah says, Okay, come. Peter jumps out of the boat. And he starts. And he starts. And then he sinks. He thinks. So. And Messiah says, What happened? Why did you doubt? You were doing good. Why did you think about it? Why did you worry about it? So when they got into the boat, verse 32 says, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Who's in the boat? Yeshua. Yeshua and the apostles, the disciples. Now they say, truly, you're the Son of God. Matthew chapter 26. You guys know I'm building to a point. But I've got to build up the suspense. Matthew 26 verse 63. The high priest is questioning Messiah. And he's getting nowhere. Verse 63. But Yeshua kept silent. And I priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. I wish a lot of Jewish rabbis would read this verse. Because the high priest says the Messiah will be the Son of God. Whereas today, so many of the rabbis say, no, no, no. The Messiah, when he comes, will be just a man, not the Son of God. Well, the high priest knew very well back in Messiah's day that Messiah would be the Son of God. Chapter 27, verse 43. Chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him, that is God, deliver him. That's Yeshua. Now, if he, God, will have him, Yeshua. For he, Yeshua, said... I am the Son of God. I've had a lot of believers say Yeshua never said he was the Son of God. Well, clearly those around him understood him to say, I am the Son of God. In the same chapter, verse 54. So in the centurion and those with him who were guarding Yeshua saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. My Tanakh says, Oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. 
Go back to Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. They say, no, no, it's not like the Son of God. It's like an angel. Saw one like an angel, that's all. Is that what the Aramaic says? No. Aramaic says like the Son of God. And that's a term. I even wrote down what the Aramaic is, so you guys can write it down. Lavar, L apostrophe, V-A-R. The L means like, the V-A-R means son of. Elohim. Elohim. In Hebrew, it's Elohim. In Aramaic, it's Elohim. They're that close together. In Hebrew, it would say, Labar Elohim. In Aramaic, Lavar Elohim. Like the Son of God. But if we turn up to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, Is the uh, article the in the Daniel 325? The answer is it's a word pair. And if the last word of a word pair is definite, the whole word pair is definite. So the is proper. Yep. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came into the ancient of days. So here he's called the son of man. But they all understood back in that time that the son of man would also be the son of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 verse 2. No, let's not do that. Let's just go on. Back to Daniel chapter 3. I'm looking at the time. I'm talking too much. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. Boy, that was stupid, right? It killed all his mighty men. So I assume by near he means not right there. He wasn't too Went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See, does he know who the Most High God is? Yes, he just hasn't chosen to worship the Most High God. But how would he know who the Most High God is? Because what did Daniel tell him when he interpreted the dream? The Most, Most High God revealed it. So he says, okay, I now know who your God is. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Would, would all the over the time from the Exodus to this point, would not the tales of how God had went before the children of Israel and opened the sea and all the plagues on Egypt and, you know, Jericho, the walls falling down and, and all these mighty wonders that could only be supernatural, wouldn't they have been passed down through all those generations? Oh, sure. But not to Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar just didn't believe the stories. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. 
and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. How many of you have been around a big fire? Yeah, you, smell like you smell like it, don't you? You don't realize it until you go somewhere else. That's right. Their hair was not singed. Their garments were not affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. How many men came out of the fire? Three. Three. The fourth stayed in the fire. <laughs> huh. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to meet him, did he? No. So verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He's eating humble pie. He's eating humble pie, but not as much as he ought to be. Notice that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So he recognizes that the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not any of the gods he worships. Nor does he intend to worship the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So to him, this is just another god. Do you see Nebuchadnezzar volunteering to jump into the fire to test his theory? No, you do not. And I would suggest that that was probably wise on his part not to do so. Verse 20, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Yep, he's right there and explains why he doesn't jump in the fire to see if his God will do the same. He knows better. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Now, as we come to chapter 4, Chapter 4 takes place after Nebuchadnezzar has constructed the image of gold from Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. So first he has the dream, and Daniel tells him the dream and its interpretation. Then he builds the idol of gold. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire and come out. And he recognizes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not like any God that he serves. And now, he's going to address the people. Chapter 4, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king. Why doesn't it say the king of Babylon? He's the king of the world. Yeah, he's the king of the world. Babylon rules everything. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. 
I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How do you say the Most High God in Hebrew? El Elyon. So E-L space E-L-Y-O-N El Elyon. Sometimes in our Bible it translates that as the Most High God and sometimes as God Most High. But it's from the same Hebrew words. So I wanted to take a look at the God Most High. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And I want to do this because there is so much syncretism in the world today. So much pagan idolatry mushed in and mixed in with the worship of the true and living God as if it's all one and the same God. Genesis chapter 14. We see it first in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. This is El Elyon, same as the Most High God. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. There's the same words. Possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, same words, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Down in verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. So four times in this one chapter, they use the phrase El Elyon, the Most High God or God Most High. Then go to Numbers 24, which sounds like prophecies from Balaam, doesn't it? Numbers chapter 24, verse 16. One. Yes, sir. Right, it's the Hebrew word shalom. No, it's from shalom. They just didn't translate it as shalom. So we're at Numbers chapter 24, verse 16. One of the prophecies of Balaam. We'll start in 15 so we get the whole thing. So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Baor... And the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High. There's Elion. So sometimes Elion is used by itself. It doesn't have to be with the word El. Who sees the vision of the Almighty who falls down with eyes wide open. So God is the Most High. Let's go to Psalm 46. 
Psalm 46. What's one of the big theological teachings going around the world today is that we all worship the same God, right? All religions are just spokes on a wheel taking us to the same God. What does El Elyon mean? Most high, the most high, there is no other. How do you say that in Hebrew? Ain od, there is not another. Psalm 46, 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. Psalm 50, verse 14. All these are using the same words. El Elyon. 50 verse 14. Off, I'm sorry. The same Yes. You can put say El Elyon or just Elyon means the same thing. So Psalm 50 verse 14 says, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Notice in all these verses we've looked at, all use the words God and Most High. They're the same words. Sometimes they put them together. Sometimes they separate them apart. Comes to the same thing. Psalm 57 verse 2. There is no God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 57, verse 2. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. Who wrote this? David. You bet. Psalm 73, 11. Why has the current Pope been bringing idols from all nations and putting them in the Vatican? It's just his nature. Because he says we're all worshiping the same God anyway. <laughs> what I thought the statues of all the supposed saints are anyway just statues of pagan gods. Right, those are statues of pagan gods. They just changed the names changed at the bottom. The, yeah. Yep. You're right, Psalm 73, verse 11. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Somebody give me an answer to that. Yep. Yes, God knows. Psalm 78, verse 56. Psalm 78, verse 56. Psalm 78, verse what? 56. Yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies. Meaning even the commandments they heard from God's own mouth with their own ears, they did not keep. Whew. Yeah, really. Psalm 82, verse 6.
I said you are, they translate the word here gods. It's Elohim. It means mighty ones. In this case, it's talking about they're being judges. So they're exercising part of God's power. And all of you are children of the Most High. Psalm 91, verse 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What's he talking about? If you want to dwell with God in his kingdom throughout eternity, where should you abide? Under the shadow of his wings. Stay close. Stay close. Psalm 97, verse 9. Psalm 97, verse 9. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. They didn't capitalize it there, but they should have. You are exalted far above all gods. That's what Elion means. Is our God is not like the gods of the pagan nations. Psalm 107, 11. Psalm 107, verse 11. Talking about the children of Israel that died in the wilderness, didn't get to go in the land. It says, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised or scorned the counsel of the Most High. There was God told them what to do and they said, no. That's pretty well. Yep. In Daniel chapter 3, it appears five times. So let's go look at Daniel chapter 3. I know we just finished reading it, but let's look at the three the five times it refers to the Most High God. That is 3 through 5. Daniel 3.26 Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Daniel chapter 4, verse 2, that's the verse we started this Ibex trail from. We'll see it again in chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And then chapter 5, verse 18. O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. In verse 21. Then he was driven from the sons of men, 
His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heavens till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. Five times during the reign of Babylon over the entire world, Babylon acknowledges that the Lord is the God Most High. And every time they do what? Go back. They turn away from him and return to pagan idolatry. Five times they see there's no God like him, but we're going to worship these gods anyway. They claim to feel treats attached. Mm-mm-mm. Let's look at four occasions where the term is used in the New Testament. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 7. A man possessed by demons. Mark 5, 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Yeshua, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Do the demons know who the most high God is? They most certainly do. Do they know who the son of the most high God is? They certainly do. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Verse 28. When he saw Yeshua, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Yeshua, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Acts chapter 16. Verse 17. The slave girl possesses a spirit of divination, has made her masters rich through fortune telling. Verse 17 says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She was able to do the fortune telling because of her demon possession. And the unclean spirits seem to have no problem telling mankind that the Lord our God is God the Most High. Why do our religious leaders have a problem? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1. One last one, then we'll get off this Ibex trail. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Refers back to Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Who was that Melchizedek? 
What does it say? Verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, that's Melchizedek. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, Melech Shalom, or Melchizedek Shalom. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, which means he's been from the beginning. Having neither beginning of days, he's always been. Nor end of life he'll always be. But made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. Who do the Jewish sages say this is? Son of Seth or son They of say it's Shem. Yeah. Who's Shem's father? Noah. Noah. Noah, so he doesn't fit because verse 3 says, without father, without mother. We know who Shem's father was. We know Shem's genealogy. We know the children of Israel descend from Shem. Probably many or most of us in this room descend from Shem. But let's go back to Daniel chapter 4. All the way up to verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. What signs and wonders does Nebuchadnezzar know about? First, he was able to tell Daniel, to tell the king, the dream and its interpretation. He was able to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the burning fire that we know was really hot because it killed Nebuchadnezzar's mighty men. Burned the ropes off of the three children of Israel and yet didn't even make them smell smoky. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Where in the scripture we find that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom? That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, right? And his dominion is from generation to generation. Does this sound like a man who's converted? who's repented and turned away from pagan idolatry to worship the true and living God? It does, but he isn't. It sounds like it, but he isn't. Yeah. He's a fake. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my god, uh-oh, what does that start to show us? He just can't get rid of He hasn't really changed, has he? In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. How many do you think we're talking about the vision of Daniel 2? With the image of gold, silver, brass, and iron. It's, it's not. This is the second vision. 
Remember the first time he didn't tell the wise men the dream. This time it says he did. In verse 7, I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So even when I tell them the dream, they can't lie to me well enough to persuade me. So here's the dream. Verse 10, these were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. What does a tree represent? A kingdom. And a king. Both keep a finger here. Let's go to Isaiah. Chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. You guys know that those words are not translated well. There shall come forth a shoot. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The tree represented as the tree of Jesse is the Davidic throne. And it appears to the world like the Davidic throne has come to an end. The tree was cut down by Babylon. What comes out of that stump is a little shoot, which is Messiah. He will be king of kings and lord of lords. So a tree represents a throne. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 4. It's going to be the same in his vision. Verse 10, I was looking, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. What's it mean? The height of the tree was great. It means it was a massive kingdom. Very big kingdom. Verse 11, the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth, which means a worldwide empire. Who had a worldwide empire at this point in time? Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. So what he's saying is his own throne. In Daniel 2, the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Why did he then afterwards make an image that was all gold to say what? His kingdom, his tree would last forever. So let's see if this tree will last forever. Verse 12, its leaves were lovely. Just like the head of gold would have been beautiful. Its fruit abundant. And then it was food for all. It's a magnificent kingdom. Because who ordained the kingdom? God did. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed. And there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. That's an angel. This is not the only time that angels are referred to as watchers. The fact that it's a holy one means whose angel is it? The Lord's or Satan's? This is the Lord's, yeah. Verse 14. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Wait a minute. The tree is Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. Yeah, it means Nebuchadnezzar is going to not be king anymore. Let's watch. 
strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from the heaven from the branches. Sorry. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Just like in Isaiah chapter 11, the tree's been cut down, but there's still the stump with the roots in the earth. Meaning the thing, the throne, the lineage is not yet dead. There's hope. Bound with a band of iron and bronze. Iron is for the strength. Bronze is for judgment. It's bound by God. So remove the king from his throne, but don't let the kingdom be given to another. In the tender grass of the field. Iron is for strength. Bronze is judgment. So it's God's judgment that he be removed from the throne and bound with iron such that he will not return to the throne until God says he can return. Says, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. What's that mean? He's going to get rained on. Let him graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest king in the world. King of kings, lord of lords, reigning over the entire earth. And God says, he's going to go eat grass like an animal. But, don't give the throne to another. Verse 16, let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. It's not really heart like the thing that pumps blood. It means his intellect and everything will be taken from him. He'll no longer have the characteristics of a man, but the characteristics of a wild animal. And let seven times pass over him. How long is he going to eat grass and live in the dew of the rains of the mornings? Seven something. Seven years. Some people argue that that could be seven seasons. For seven months? It's not. Because remember how long God decrees the tribulation period to be? Time, times, and half a time is half of it. Three and a half years. Not three and a half seasons. Same word. Oh, and your question, don't some people interpret it another way? The answer is yes, and that's true of every other word in the Bible too. Yeah, I've specifically read that about Daniel. They gave reasons for it that, um, you know, everyone gives reasons for their opinion. But it's the same word that God uses when he says time, times, and half a time, and then three and a half years, and the number of months, and the number of days. Verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, the angelic host. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones against the angelic hosts. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Who's the most high? God himself. That the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will. And sets it over the lowest of men. Meaning God didn't choose Nebuchadnezzar to be king of the world because Nebuchadnezzar was the nicest guy 
or the prettiest guy or the tallest guy or the wealthiest guy. God chose, and that's enough. Please? Yes, ma'am. Could you, in verse 17, I'm just kind of curious to know, uh, it says the matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. So is are those watchers all holy watchers? Yes, I'm talking about God's angels. So is there okay, is there any I'm not sure how the word is. Are they kind of repeating themselves there? Yeah. That's parallelism. Okay. Yep. Hebrewism. Yeah. Well, in this case, it's Aramaic, but same principle. So, verse 18 This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. He doesn't know what any of the symbolism means. That's why he needs somebody to interpret it. Now, you, Belteshazzar, who's that? Daniel. Declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. He still won't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he recognizes that Daniel's doing a really good job being his servant. Verse 19, Daniel has no desire to hurt or anger Nebuchadnezzar. Keep that in mind. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. He's going to have to tell Nebuchadnezzar, Hey guy, you're going to go eat grass like an animal for seven years. This is going to really be bad. Well, Belteshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't usually react to good news like that in a good way. Yeah. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dreamer's interpretation trouble you. Meaning, don't be afraid to tell me the truth. My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, Belteshazzar answers. And his interpretation concern your enemies. So Daniel says, I don't want it to be about you, um, but it is. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king. You have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. I bet Nebuchadnezzar scratching his head there. Why did you say you wish it was about somebody else? Sounds pretty good so far. Yeah, so far. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, 
and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Remember the image of Daniel 2? The head was of gold, the chest and arms were of silver, that the kingdom would pass to Medo-Persia. And Nebuchadnezzar said, oh no, it won't. God can't do that. And Daniel says, until you realize God can do what he chooses to do, you're going to eat grass like an animal. Verse 26, and as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven's rules, that heaven rules. In other words, your throne will not be given to another. Medo-Persia is not going to come take it yet. You can have it back after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous. What's that mean? Quit sinning. Yeah, repent. Quit sinnings. Become righteous. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Right over his head. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel's advice was, hey, repent, start doing righteous things, and maybe God will defer the judgment. He's preaching the prosperity doctrine. Well. So verse 38, 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. <laughs> yeah. Somebody from go to meeting? Maybe not. Verse 30. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? First thing, notice in verse 29, God gives him a year, a year to repent. repent. To learn a lesson. To humble himself. Does he? No. no. Look. Daniel said, God gave you the kingdom. After thinking about for a year, Nebuchadnezzar says, I did this myself. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. No dream this time. The voice comes straight from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Not will depart, has departed. It's over. The axe has fallen. Yeah. Verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. How long did it take for that to be fulfilled? Verse 33, that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. 
And that's where we will leave old Nebuchadnezzar for this week, having run out of time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Mm -hmm.